Hello and welcome to the game pit. It's that special time of year when we start ramping up towards Essen and do our Essen previews, Ronan. Oh, I'm so excited. Episode 95 today, Sean. Do you know what episode 95 is? What is it, Ron? Is it our actual 100th episode? It's our actual 100th episode. <laughs> Although we had some funky numbering early on, so let's not worry about that. But here we go. This episode 95 is 100 episodes. Well done. Well done for surviving this long, Sean. Yeah. And anyone who's listened to all of them, especially if you suffered some of the early ones or even some of the later ones. Well done for putting up with Ronan for that long. I know I'm... Wow. I'm I'm a breath of fresh air into your life. Rachel right? doesn't listen, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what are we doing here today, apart from patting ourselves on the back for surviving? We are doing one of our treasure hunt episodes. It's our first one for Spiel 2017, in which we take 12 games. We have not played these games unless we specifically say so. And for this episode, we have not played any of these games and all we're doing is what everyone else does when they're preparing to go to spiel is have a look at the games have a look at the rule books have a look at whatever videos are available and as best grok whether we think just think an opinion these games are going to be a treasure and something that's going to survive the test of time and be amazing amounts of fun or a trap something that looks like it's worth your money but maybe might not we are hoping for all of these games to get them played at some point and then give you an honest review of them but this is just a bit of fun and maybe we'll tell you about a couple of games you have or have not heard of and solidify your opinions on them or have you look into something that you hadn't thought of yeah if, it, if you think ronan's laboring that point a little bit too much he really isn't people get a little bit excited if, if we declare their game is a trap it's not really it's just we aren't that excited about it <laughs> we always um, say it but these, these are like our most responded to episodes people love them and say oh when you're doing a treasure hunt and publishers do not love them they do not happy anyway it's fine we're cracking on because it's it's a bit of a laugh right before we crack on we are proud members of the dice tower network go there and the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to download the episode we are on itunes podbean and stitcher and youtube So the very first game we're going to be picking over is Hunt for the Ring from Ares Games for 2 to 5 players, 90 to 180 minutes, designed by Marco Maggi and the other guys who are behind War of the Ring and Battle of Five Armies, Tolkien experts in deeper games, let me tell you people. In Hunt for the Ring, one player is going to be doing secret movement as Frodo across a board and up to four other players are going to be playing as the Nazgul, as the Ringwraith, attempting to find Frodo and corrupt him. The game is played in two distinct halves which you can play back to back or it's very easy to save it after the first half and then play the second half another time. The first half is Frodo trying to get from the Shire to Bree and the second half is Frodo trying to get from Bree to Rivendell. Frodo, like I said, is a hidden movement, like 
Jack in Letters for Whitechapel and other games like that. He's got a piece of paper behind a screen and every turn he's writing where he's gone, whether he's on a numbered spot or a dot or what have it, according to spaces on the board. And he has got company and ally cards to help him. So you can just do simple movements as he goes, but his allies and his companies are going to give him special powers to try and confuse the ring wraiths. The game is played in two halves on a round. There's a day phase and a night phase and Frodo has to move during the day he can choose to move during the night but if he does move during the night he's going to draw some more attention from the ring wraiths once Frodo's on his hidden movement the Nazgul then move and they're on the board they are visible and they can cross cross Frodo and he doesn't have to reveal himself because on their turn each Nazgul doesn't matter how many players are playing them is going to take an action die from a pool that's been rolled and from those action dies they're going to be able to search particular areas see if Frodo's left a trail or actually hunt him if they're in the same area as him or possibly play sorcery cards to do some kind of black magic in their quest if they do manage to hunt Frodo and find him there's an encounter between them and there's a chance to play cards and what have you and Frodo may gain some corruption from that and it's quite likely too and if Frodo ever gets too much corruption that is the end of the game Frodo's got 16 moves to make it to Bree or if he doesn't make it in that time he's going to get a load of corruption you don't carry on playing and definitely there's a different stop but the number of moves he is away he's going to draw corruption tokens and it's a terrible idea so he's very much forced to crack on and get there as quickly as possible for the second half the Frodo player or the fellowship player whatever you want to call him doesn't actually control Frodo. Frodo is on a pre-programmed route that you choose from long and short routes. What they do is actually control Gandalf. We're kind of thematic to the book. Frodo's off doing his thing and you're playing, now playing as Gandalf and you're buzzing around the place and you're basically trying to slow down the Nazgul and make it harder for them to find Frodo. The Lord of Nazgul can come into play and he can add more corruption to Frodo. You know, stabbed him in the book or whatever you and Frodo started going downhill. In the second half, it's the same thing. Frodo has to get to Rivendell on his pre-programmed route or he's going to get too much corruption and die. Sean, it's a genre of games that you love. Hunt for the Ring. It's an IP that I love. It's a genre of games that I love. So I'm probably going to be looking at this one already before you brought it to my attention, Ronan. First impression, when I looked at that board, it seemed very small and not not a lot of spaces to manoeuvre around. It's no sort of letters of Whitechapel where you've got lots of little dots and lots of little places to hide in nooks and crannies. But then I suppose it's not a one-off capture and it's done. Yeah, very much. It's It feels like that feeling of the Nazgul are always having near escapes with Frodo. And whenever they get close to him, he, he gets that corruption and they're kind of almost on top of him. You know, in the book, there's a real sort of thematic moment or a strong moment where Frodo is walking across and he can hear them wailing to each other on, on adjacent hills and they haven't actually found him but just that makes him feel like drags him down a bit and he's a bit off for a while after that and that captures a very certain aspect here in Hunt for the Ring and that's what's going on it's near misses if they captured Frodo it's the end of the whole story of Lord of the Rings and that to me would be a thematic disconnect but this idea that they kind of almost find you the feeling of the ring getting heavy and dragging you down i really love that i think it's a clever thing they've done rather than a zero sum right we found you game over moving on to the looks of the game i'm just looking at a picture of it right now i brought it up on board game geek it's not the most stimulating board out there it's very green not a lot of detail on the board it doesn't call to me 
Yeah, it fits into the art style of Wuthering and Battle of Five Armies. It's quite pastely, and there's a certain style to the drawings of the characters. I'm not sad to say it's my favourite style. But what it does do is it evokes those earlier games for me, and it puts me into their interpretation of the world. So I almost know what I'm expecting with the game. So it feels comfortable to me, but it's not the best look. No, no. I think maybe a slight misstep there. They could have really drawn people in with that map. But fair enough. Board aside, where it gets really interesting for me is those cards. Those cards when there's Frodo's encountering the Nazgul and those cards when Gandalf's in play, that's where it kind of elevates into something slightly different from all those other hidden movement games out there. The last aspect is the uh, the ending of the game. In a lot of hidden movement games, when you find a person, it's, it's an exciting climax. So whether the building up to the finish of the game is good or bad, I, the proof will be in the eating of the pudding for me. I, I like the idea. I like that Frodo is going downhill slightly. He's got the different companion cards that can come in with different powers. So Nazgul are never fully aware of what he can do. And yet the Nazgul have those sorcery cards with different powers. So he's never fully aware of what the Nazgul can do. It gives a sense of mystery to me backwards and forwards rather than that abrupt feeling. People often don't like it in hidden movement games. So I'm leaning towards positive, but I'm going to with the theme and what have you. I'm always going to be slightly positive on this game. Right, for me... The theme, the type of game it is, it's going to win me over. For me, it's a treasure. Slight concerns, as I said, about the less abrupt ending of the game. But, yeah, it's it's a treasure for me. Yeah, I think it's going to need the right group. As you've, we've been alluding to, it's not a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am. It hasn't got that high excitement. It's got a slow build-up of tension. I think with the right group, obviously I love the theme. This, for me, was a treasure right out the door. Although there's lots of treasures this episode, Sean, because I'm very excited for Essen. I'm getting all keyed up. I think... By preview show three and four, maybe I'll be slowing down on the treasures. Hit us with your next one. So first up for me is Coaster Park, coming from Pandasaurus Games, designed by Scott Arms, two to four players, uh, hitting about the 40 euro mark at the show. This is all about building the best roller coaster that you can by bidding for sections, assembling a crew, and finally testing that coaster. On a turn, you're going to select a dual-purpose card, from the available selection and choose from either a section of the track and these are physical pieces of cardboard that make up your roller coaster and they're going to be part for auction and sale you're going to name a price and other players will decide whether they're going to buy or pass that gets around to you again you must buy it if nobody else has taken it or you can choose to hire an expert the experts are going to give you bonuses in game what happens is the players are going to put these sections of their roller coaster together and at the end of the game they are going to test it by rolling a marble along it. And you're only going to score for the sections that the marble traverses. So if it falls off after the first section, you're not going to score very much. But if you've put together a reasonable roller coaster and it gets to the end, then you're going to score all of them. During the game, if you want to test that roller coaster just to make sure you're on the right path, you can spend some money and test it. That's Coaster Park, Ronan. Was that a pun with if you're on the right path? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, Scott Arms is a notorious designer in the game pit. Need I say Harbour? <laughs> he also did best treehouse ever. He did. Which my next point was, he's a bit hit and miss for me. Slightly more miss. So, he's come up with a gimmick. And it is just a gimmick, all right? And that's what's going to get people excited. You roll the marble, it looks fantastic. Woohoo! But, Sean, what a gimmick. Why has no one done this before? It looks... An amazing spectacle. It's the game, I think, 
at the show, most people are going to remember. Because they're going to walk past that table and see people just whooping and hollering about a marble rolling up and down some cardboard. (laughs) Conventions are the place for a gimmick. How do you shine amongst 950 games? Do something like this. And the fact that in the box, there's so much stuff. There's so much cardboard. There are so many bits. When they set this up on tables... It's going to be difficult with the convention excitement to not get carried away with it. Absolutely. I think the bidding and the sale mechanism seems quite interesting. I think there's an opportunity to screw people over for sure. So it's whether there is how much game there is under this spectacle. It's a little bit, little bit of Castles and Mad King Ludwigy. I'm not the biggest fan of setting price for things because I'm terrible at it. So, <laughs> but I guess, I guess it's your own fault if you set something as a price of eight and it comes back round to you, you have to buy it. Well, mm. you shouldn't have said it, should you? Yeah, it definitely hangs on whether there's enough in that economy to drive the game onwards and be more than just its gimmick. What path are you going down with this one, Ronan? Is your roller coaster a trap or a treasure? It's going to be an at con treasure followed by a three months later <laughs> trap. Ah, uh, could you be any more on that roller coaster fence? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the game that it's going to get those people carried away. You'll play it in the evening in the hotel. You have really loads of fun. It'll be like, oh, this is great. This is so much fun. And then down the line, you'll be like, yeah, you know, it's okay. How many times can you roll a marble down a roller coaster that you've made before you move on? For me, it's a treasure that I'm worried about. <laughs> oh, who's on the bridge oh. <laughs> <laughs> now? I'm leaning to one side at least. So, yeah, I think it's going to be definite fun I, I think it's going to be guaranteed fun for five or so games whether it goes on beyond that i'm i'm a bit skeptical but i'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and i'm going to say that coaster park is a treasure okay Ooh. let's move on to something completely different this is calamala for three to five players 45 to 75 minutes produced by adc blackfire and designed by a member of london on board and a mate of ours fabio lopiano so remember that when we review it players are the cloth merchants of venice during the renaissance there we go They're going to be trading cloth with various cities both inside and outside of Italy and they're going to be helping to build four monuments which are in the city of Venice. Mechanically what you're doing is you've got action discs and there's going to be a grid of action tiles, nine of them, and there are spaces between the action tiles. When you place an action disc down, you trigger the two adjacent tiles. They're going to allow you to get resources in, to be able to build ships or warehouses, build up your infrastructure, to make the cloth to trade, to be able to transport cloth either overseas or overland, to add these resources to monuments... If you don't get an action from what you're doing or you can't do the action, you get to draw an action card, which can be quite cool because you can build up to have a bigger action later on. If you have played a disc of your own colour and someone else plays a disc onto the same spot, you get triggered again. And the third time it happens, you get triggered again. So you can take up to six actions with one coloured disc. However, the fourth time it happens, the disc that is on the bottom gets moved to a scoring track which is called the council and it acts as a tiebreaker for certain things so getting in there is a good idea but most importantly i guess is there are 15 varied scoring tiles and when a disc moves onto a scoring tile it gets triggered and you score four variable things but things like having traded to certain cities having contributed to certain monuments for having a total amount of marble brick stone or wood added to all the 
the monuments. Basically, whatever you've done in the game, wherever you've sent cubes somehow via that action grid, you're going to score points when scoring gets triggered, but the order in which they score is going to be different every time. The game's going to end once all the scoring tiles have gone or someone's placed all of their discs into play. There are also endgame scoring cards which trigger for everyone, but each player will have one hidden and there might be one on display depending upon player count. Sean, I can't say as the look of this or the theme would ever have pulled me in, but the fact it was designed by Fabio made me look at it. What were your first impressions? First impressions, Roland, that the I'm not a massive fan of the art design. I actually quite like the box cover. It's a bit a bit nineteen ninety six. Yeah, it's a bit really dry Euro. Yeah. And sort of old fashioned Euro. I think the game looks quite daunting once you start reading through that rule book, quite busy, lots going on. But once you start getting under the under the skin of the game, it starts getting really interesting. That interesting twist on worker placement, when you've got that expiry date almost for your worker, that really intrigued me. That's definitely where my brain started popping. The whole action disc thing and going on. And the fact that will be different every game. And the fact that you want to go places where other people are going to go. And yet, people can interpret those two actions differently. It doesn't mean you're going down the set path of each other. There's different routes to go. I think the scoring tile setup is definitely going to drive what's popular and what isn't popular earlier in the game. Mechanically is where it's all at. I don't think they've done it any favours in presentation. I think their hurdle is going to be getting people to actually have a look. But I think once people have a look, people are going to start getting hooked. That's it. Exactly, Ronan. You, you took the words out of my mouth. I think the hook is there. It's just, it's a little bit hidden, but I think this is one that you're going to have to have a good playtest team. You're going to have to have people who know what they're talking about and can direct people to the nitty gritty of this game. Yeah, the, the sort of pain of having, to, every time you take an action, you might be helping other people out. Timing of when to trigger a scoring, and oh, if I just go one more round, I can grab something, but are they going to be able to grab it, or someone going to trigger it yeah. early and I haven't got in there? Yeah, there's this it's, it's hidden. It's, it's like a hook in a, in a haystack. Yeah, so for me, I think this one is the opposite of Coaster Park in that I think your first five games could be quite painful. You're learning those mechanisms, getting through all the working parts of this game. I'm not saying that you're not going to be enjoying it. It's going to be interesting rather than enjoyable, but I think once you hit that five-game mark, you know what you're doing, you know what it's about. With like-minded people, I think that's when it starts becoming enjoyable. I, I would say that this one is going to be a treasure. I don't fully agree with you, although I do think it's the opposite of Coaster Park in a different way. Where Coaster Park has the looks and maybe not the depth, I think this hasn't got the looks and has got the depth. And I don't think it's going to take five games. Honestly, as soon as I grokked that rulebook and went, oh, that's what's going on, I was in. I can see myself enjoying this from game one. So very much Kalamala is a treasure for me, although it's it's a hidden one. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, my next game is Clans of Caledonia, making a bit of a whoop and a holler that came through the Kickstarter process from Karma Games, designed by Juma Aljuju. One to four players, hitting at about the 49 euro mark at the fair. It's set in 19th century Scotland, and players are going to represent clans competing to produce, trade, and export goods. You've got the main play area, and that's a modular board with fields, locks, mountains, and forest. And you've also got your player board, where you're going to have workers, livestock, bakeries, fields and crops, dairies, merchants, distilleries, and more. 
You have a market board that's going to set the price for goods. You have an export board, which is going to where your available contracts are. Every player is going to have, as I said, the, a clan, and these clans are going to give you individual player powers. Each round, players will place workers, units, and gather resources. They're going to fulfill these contracts. They're going to upgrade, they're going to hire merchants, and they're going to trade on a turn until either their money runs out or they've decided to pass. The aim of the game is to tailor your efforts into the different scoring tiles for each round. So you have tiles that are for the most production, the most buildings, the most goods, etc. This is very much a worker placement economy area control game, and it's played over five rounds. Bands of Caledonia or Ronan? I'd say the smartest decision that these guys made was getting Clemens Franz in as the artist and giving this the same look as Agricola and Caverna and the colonists from last year and tying people visually into that ancestry of games. So they feel like, oh, people get excited. The second they see it and go, oh, Euro, long, this artwork, I'm in. And I, so smart to get him to do it. For me, though, it just made it look really samey and dull, and there's nothing that stands out about this game. But do you yeah, not like do you not like Clemens Franz' artwork anyway, or was it are you just for this game? I think just for this game because I don't think it stands out from the crowd. And yeah, this one's getting loads of buzz from the Kickstarter, but I think if it hadn't come through that process, I think you'd have, you'd have quite easily missed this one at Essen. Ah, so I think I think the artwork would still have got people's attention. You reckon? Yeah, I do. People love those Rosenberg games, and and this just sets it on the right foot. No, fair enough, fair enough. I think the game itself has that kind of Terra Mystica feel about it because you've got units coming off your player board. And the location that you place them onto the main board is very important and where you place and who you place next to, etc. That's the kind of feel I get for this one. Did you think the spaceless aspect was important? I mean, the, when you go down, you get that neighbouring bonus. I can see that that's quite good. But apart from that, I actually felt like the whole map was kind of forced and that restriction in shipping, that you have to up your shipping so that you can link across certain locks and stuff like that. I didn't. It didn't make any sense to me at all. It, it just felt mm. like another step that you had to do. It didn't feel smart to me. It didn't feel like something I was thinking my way around. It was just, oh, I can't go across there. Okay, I have to upgrade my... There's one more thing I have to upgrade. It's shipping this time. And then I can get over there and... I think the naval bonus is quite important. I think... Some areas but are it's important to go into. in the game, but is it there for a reason or is it just one more thing to upgrade? I think there's, there's areas on it that are quite a, a less expensive to exploit and and areas that are closer to sort of more different types of areas and that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that it's as deep and, and as interesting even as Terra Mystica. Yeah, you've got a feel of it for you. But, I mean, okay, you can kind of tell by the tone of the voice. Maybe we're not as excited as other people are about this game. I think that's coming through already. Maybe there is more to the map than I was making out there. But part of the reason I'm putting off is that, you know, making cheese, making wool, selling them up or down for one or two pound more than someone else. These, this is not an exciting thing for me. This is, I'm not sitting there going, oh, I really want to make cheese and sell it for one pound more than Sean has. <laughs> 
I want to so run away from the Nazgul. It doesn't mirror real life. <laughs> I want to run away from the Nazgul. I want to build a roller coaster. Uh, okay, let's not worry about Kalimala, but cheese, <laughs> really? But Kalimala had that interesting worker longevity issue going on, so there, there was something different. There was a hook there. This one... I'm looking at it. Is there going to be even any longevity to it? Yeah, there's a modular board and there's different clans, but it looks to me from afar like the path to victory could be very, very similar for everybody and every time you play it. I'm going to call it the parade to victory. And there's a particular reason why I want to say that. It's because I can't see obstacles. I can't see difficulties. I can just see that whole thing of multi-steps to get to the actual end goal. I can't see like something stopping me or I've got to think my way around a problem or it's just, I can choose slightly different routes and we're all going to the same place. When the score sheet came out, when I, when I was looking at the example, I was looking at Paul Grogan's video, which is a good video, but points for this, points for that, points for this, points for that. I'm like, where's the difficulty? Where have you been stopped from doing these things? It wasn't mm. grabbing me, Sean. It wasn't grabbing me. So, and I'm excited so you... and I like Euros. <laughs> are you going down the route that I think you're going down? Well, I think it's fairly obvious, isn't it? I don't like multi-layer Euro that I've got no difficulties. Just do this, do that today. I have to go eight steps to get one thing. I don't understand really why we're importing sugarcane and stuff like that. The whole thematic thing is just completely disconnected for me. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but Clans of Caledonia right now, this is a trap. For me, this is the very definition of a trap in that it drew me in all the clamour and the excitement and people talking, oh, I can't get clans of Caledonia. And it almost went on my S and Instabuy list without even looking at it. And then when I looked at it, I started thinking, but it doesn't really excite me. I think there is a game there. I think there is possibly a interesting game deep down, but has it got any longevity? Is it going to leap above any of the other games that I've got a vague interest for? Probably not. So for me, it, as it stands, it's got to be a trap for Clans of Caledonia. Okay, we're going to move on to Pioneer Days, some tasty minstrel games for two to four players, 45 to 60 minutes. 95%, I'm sure, designed by Matthew Dunstan of Elysium Relic Runners in Costa Rica fame. And Chris Marling was probably there during it as well of Empire Engine and Armageddon fame. And you've heard him on the show, so you know he's a friend of ours. That's two games in a row I've done from friends of ours. I'm, what was going on? I need to move away from this. But anyway. Uh, but, yeah, but come on, Chris has probably just come up with the name. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's just there for the looks. Okay, what are we doing in Pioneer Days? Well, we are taking wagons and cattle as pioneers across the American West. We're going to be visiting towns and we're very much going to be trying to survive catastrophes that can befall us. There's an Oregon Trail feel to this one. We're going to play over four weeks of five days. There are going to be five colours of dice in a bag, depending on how many players there are, is the number of them. And each day, the number of players plus one dice are drawn. And then in player order, you're going to draft a die and the last die that's left over is going to trigger. Now, the colours, the four colours, are going to be linked to the four different catastrophes that can happen, which are going to destroy certain aspects of what you're trying to build. And there's also a black die as well, and that will push all of them up their track and may trigger multiple catastrophes at once. We'll come back to those catastrophes. Now, when you choose a die, it might trigger certain equipment or townsfolk later on in the game that you've been able to get from your actions and visiting towns and what have you. 
then you're going to take some income and you're going to choose an action you might be able to mine for gold to get vps or you might be able to get some equipment that's going to help you do various things or collect some more cattle to add to your herd you might get medicine or wood that's going to save you from those disasters or you might be able to just take some money then you get a chance to recruit townsfolk that are on offer they will give you both special powers and end game victory points when you recruit them there's limited space for the stuff that you collect so you might need to buy more wagons but that's going to make you more vulnerable to catastrophes more money more problems sure at the end of each of the four weeks the towns are going to want something and then they will give you favors if you give them whatever they want so you're taking stuff from town to town thematically to provide for these people and that will also score you vps at the end of the game you're going to score for your gold for your favors you've collected by helping towns your townsfolk as i said and you're going to lose points for damage you've taken from the catastrophes sean pioneer days pioneer days right i think what you get here is on the surface You've got this lovely, friendly, bright, cheerful artwork. But underneath, it hides a beast. You've got these couple of simple mechanisms, but from them sprout a lot of different choices. Do you work together to balance out these disaster dice? Do you prepare for one and turn push the other one? Do you have enough carts to carry all the goods that you're going to have? So lots of things that you've got to balance at the same time, it can be quite nasty with other people trying to really screw you over. We're talking about a hook in Kalamala. We're talking about nothing really as an obstacle in Clans of Caledonia. And I think that the two things combine together here. The hook and the obstacle are those catastrophes. It's a nice little dice drafting game other than that. And a dice drafting game like others, which would sound competent. And you go, oh yeah, I'm going to collect some cattle. I'm going to collect some of this. I'm going to get some equipment. Isn't that all lovely? boom you've got the catastrophes that's what's punching you in the face i love that you can kind of direct where you're going so keep trying to allow the famine dice to hang around and i just won't collect any cattle and you guys right it makes it easier for you lot to get cattle but maybe if two of us do it we can start directing lots of famine dice to hang around there's definitely a push pull of every action you do is affecting what dice i want but Maybe I've got equipment that triggers off the face that is on the famine dice. So I'm like, oh, if I take it, I'm not stitching them up. But it triggers all my equipment. In a few dice drafting games, it's just one decision you're making. I like there's multiple aspects here. Also, they've rather cheekily thrown in that black dice that actually everybody has to almost play cooperatively because nobody wants that black dice to trigger then all the all the bad things happen oh i so, don't know if you if you're packed up with medicine and wood you might be like oh, i don't care <laughs> maybe, i'm gonna maybe. spend all my money this turn let there be a raid i'm not fast go for it i ain't taking the black why well, you take the black i'm not taking the black dice <laughs> i like the fact that you can drive your own vp opportunities as well you've got your own little direction we're not all scoring in the same way I always like that in a game. Give me a little bit of a choice on what I want to do, how I want to drive my own wagon. I'm driving my own wagon, Sean. I might paint yeah, it as well. <laughs> so from the outset, I was actually quite worried that this was a bit safe. I didn't think that there was anything too punishing there. I thought it was... Whoa, it, you got that wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So the, the, the deeper I delved into this one, the more I realised that there were choices to be made. There were screwing opportunities and for that reason, I'm really looking forward to giving it a go finally. It's going to be a cheeky little treasure. I'm just going to give some feedback quick here, which I think is more aimed at tasty minstrel games than a game itself. If you look for this game and you get the rule book, it's not a great rule book. 
it seems like they were trying to write it on the minimum amount of paper or the minimum amount of ink. There's not enough examples. It's not structured very well. It's in a big hurry. And we've had to interpret what some of the town powers or townsfolk might do. It gives you an idea what they do. The reason we haven't given specific examples is because there's not specific examples in the rule book. It's an eight-page rule book. It's a quick read. It should have been 12 pages, and Tasty Mitchell should have given it a little bit more love. And at time of publishing, there's no video. Or, so the rule book is the only thing that people are going on. And I've got a horrible feeling this can be overlooked, Sean. So Tasty Minstrel, I think you need to do better with Pioneer Days and push it out. Because I think you have got a clever, quick little dice drafting game that is not as vapid as a lot of dice drafting games are. We played Dice City, where I thought it was always obvious and nothing was pulling me. And we're just building up all at the same speed. This I like, this different ways, different going. So I am going treasure on Pioneer Days. But Tasty Minstrel, you got to up your game pre-Essen. Fair point, Roland. So my next game is Keeper from R&D Games, designed by Richard Breeze, and two to four players coming in at the 55 euro mark. This is a standalone game in the Key series, and this is the first completely new game since Keyflower. So players are going to use a Keeper to recruit and manage workers over four seasons to develop their farm and their village. Players are going to start with a team of meeples, eight meeples in seven colours, and each one has a speciality. For example, the black one is a miner, the orange one is a clay worker, the green is a farmer. The white ones, on which you start with two, they're kind of your general wildcards. Players are going to have a board with areas for their village stores, their farm and their dock. In the middle are the country boards with fields to place the workers. Workers are placed on the country boards or on your own boards to collect actions or resources. Now, the, t- the twist is other people can follow in turn order. You're only allowed two in each space, but another they can add workers into the same space as you and you're going to both get resources and there's going to be extra resources for matching colours. Later on, you can lay down your keeples to trigger an extra action after you, you've done your actions, you're going to put a keeper meeple out and they're going to claim a county board which is full of fields and you set it to whatever's the optimum one for you. Players are also populating their boards with tiles that offer points and these are fairs and farms and you can look to ship your goods, your livestock, show them off at, at shows and trading fairs and you can improve your buildings around as well. So that wasn't my most coherent overview, Roland. And there's a very, very special reason for that. It's because the rule book, as tends to be with R&D games, is all over the shop. It is an awful rule book. Oh, mate. What can I say? Why use 10 words when 100 will do? All the rules are there. It reminded me so badly of Inhabit the Earth. But they're so wordy and they're so strangely structured and it's so overwritten that it's incredibly hard to pass what you're actually doing. They need a rules book editor so badly. Richard Breeze is a fantastic game designer. They bring out these games and they've got nice components and it all makes sense. Once you know how to play the game, brilliant. It's singing. What a great publisher. They need, they need to hire someone to edit their rule books because it's like a very talented novelist 
who gives you a thousand page novel and what the editor will produce is a brilliant 650 page novel <laughs> that's what's going on here this is 20 pages of confusion it really is this was the first game that i tried to learn anything about from the whole of the Essen list because i was very excited about it it set my Essen rules madness and blindness going immediately <laughs> i don't know what was going on I literally, I, I sat there, I texted Ronan saying, have you have you looked at Keeper yet? And he sent back, no. I was like, mate, I'm already confused. <laughs> so when we got Inhabit the Earth back from an Essence show and we played it that weekend, what I found was after the first game, everyone then realised what the hell was going on. And it was nothing to do with complicated rules. It was because the rule book tells you what you do and does not tell you why. I think you're doing stuff because you get fares after each season, and that's your opportunity to score points. But it's not dwelt on at all. There are all these talking round and talking into special cases and exceptions and things explained that don't really need explaining. But it doesn't actually tell me why I'm doing it. From what we can glean from this hideous rule book, so we've got these folding country boards. Hmm. Now, I, I thought maybe, is it a gimmick or is it a clever mechanism? I think I'm leaning on the clever mechanism side because being able to ter- change the terrain that is available to you is very interesting to me. That's it is interesting, new... but I'm going to ask you a question. Cool. How many games of Keeper is it going to take until you feel like you're making an informed choice on that? Because it ain't going to happen in your first game. No, no. Who knows? <laughs> Us twenty for other people too. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's one of those mechanisms that you go. That sounds brilliant. Once I know the game, before that, yeah, I'm just going to yeah, be throwing yeah, it up yeah. in the air, letting it land, and go. There you go. There's my fields. It's good though because there's a lot of stuff here that's from Keyflower. It's mm. and everyone said that it's got the different kind of meeples. It's the fact that you play them onto boards and someone else can claim them. The fact that you have to build up your own board, very reminiscent of Keyflower along those lines. It's good that there are definite differences, and this is one of them that I don't feel like it's just another reworking of Keyflower. Yeah, and uh, another one is working with each other. That sort of following mechanism. Do you want to help the other player out or do you really need those extra moves that following them will provide? So it's a, it's adding interest to the already tried and tested. It's a double incentive well. to doing it as well, isn't there? Because when you follow, yes, both of you get a more powerful action, you get more resources. But then once you're out of key pools, that's when you can start lying down workers and taking extra actions. So someone who hasn't followed both isn't getting the improved action and they can't lay down and double work their workers. And once you're down to only one person with keepers left, that's what's triggering the end of the round. So you're kind of pushed into it, sure. There's going to be some timing, because there's certain people you're not going to want to help, or I can't give him loads of pigs because he's got a pig scoring mechanism. And that's another thing that's saying to me, am I going to be able to make informed decisions about following until I've played it a couple of times? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of interaction. You need to know the pattern of how a game will develop before those decisions feel informed. I kind of felt a little bit like Keyflower, as you're describing right now, because, yeah, I didn't really glean all I needed to know from the first couple of plays, but the more you get into it, and that's kind of one of the reasons I really liked Keyflower, is it kept giving me more 
things to explore and more understanding every time I played it. For me, in terms of Trap or Treasure, there's a lot going on. With the rule book, much like Inhabit the Earth, I'm going to go initial trap. It's not going to be enjoyable. Playing it at the show, I don't think. Well, unless they really guide you around it, but they tend to have a smaller booth. It's quite cramped, so it's going to be hard to get demo from past experience. But the opposite of Coaster Park, and I know you're going to accuse me of sitting on the fence, so I'm going to go trap. That's my first choice. If I had the opportunity and the inclination to sit down and play it five times, and if I get convinced enough from maybe playing it with someone else's copy or I have a sudden urge, and I do do that, I think it will develop into a treasure, but it's going to be a hard sell. Well, I trust R&D Games, not to do a rule book, but to do a game. I trust Richard Breeze, and for that reason, and the collector in me, because I've got, I've got like Key Harvest, I've got Key Cathedral, I've got Key Flower. The collector in me wants to get the next in the in the series as well. So I'm going to say it's a treasure, but it's going to take some digging to get at that treasure. And we're going to take a short break, and Ronan is going to come back at you with his next choice in a sh- few short moments. So our next game is In Between from Board and Dice for two players, a 20 to 40 minute game. And I'm going to start off by telling you it hasn't got the intellectual property, but this is Stranger Things, the card game. Okay. There's a creature player. They're trying to drag humans into their own dimension. There is a town player, and that's trying to prevent that from happening. There are 18 characters in the game. You put 10 of them in a circle for each game, so it's varied. And then each player gets a 28 card deck, which they shuffle up. The town has 28 unique powers on their cards the creature has got seven different powers four copies of each you start with an activity marker on a character from the town and then that activity marker each round is going to move along from character to character and it's going to alternate sides and the players are going to alternate turns on their turn they can play a card now they can shift the states up or down off the characters who are in the circle they can go towards the human or the creature dimension or they can be in between The card that you play is going to have a symbol on it and the characters are going to have matching symbols. So by matching that symbol, you can change their state or you can place a symbol on characters, setting up combinations of moving their state later on in the game. Also, each player is going to have a set of energy, which is going to go up and down as they play. And you can use energy to trigger the cards or to increase your awareness level. Now, the awareness level is very important because... Once per game, you may trigger your awareness power depending upon what level it's on. It goes from level 1 to 6, and if you hit level 6 at any point, that ends the game. The character with the activation marker on is not the one that you're forced to change the state of as you play. However, that character will trigger if it is in either dimension, and the character cards are double-sided. They flip over between the dimensions, and if it's securely in a dimension it's going to do something now i talked about the states of the characters and why it's important they can get all the way to secured which means they're fully in human dimension and it's hard for the creature to then affect them or then get fully into devoured which is fully in the creature's dimension it's hard for the humans then to save them but if you get three characters in either way that's an instant win for a player or if it gets down to only five characters left, whoever is controlling the state of the majority of those characters is going to win the game because characters can be eliminated via various card effects. Sean, Stranger Things the card game, it's not what it's called. Let's make that clear. It's called In Between. What are your thoughts on it? 
I was drawn in by the, the artwork. It's very haunting. It's uh, very uh, effective in what it's trying to depict. I, I love the theme. But the rule book didn't quite hit the mark. I couldn't get a good feel. Yeah, you told me this. Go on. Yeah, yeah I just couldn't get a feel for the game. For some reason, it just it wouldn't go into my head what the game was I about. I don't understand. I don't, honestly, because you said it to me before I read the rule book. Yeah. And I was expecting a bad rule book. And I read it, and it was completely clear. I was just like, yeah, okay. I, I think, think this might be Essen blindness or something. No, I don't think it was. I think it's more that the game seems very convoluted. I, I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table. I think it's just going to be too much effort of faffing around and taking from this and adding to that. And you've got. You I, I have to check. Once. I have to double check. Is it in between that you did research on? <laughs> yes, it is. What are you talking about? You, li- you like this type of card game where all the cards do like three different, five different things, and it, it just it seems too much work for me. This is a simple game. When you play a card, you're either adding a symbol to a character or a character that has that symbol. You're moving towards your state. Yeah, that's it. And then the marker, yeah, if it's on your side or the other side, the character activates the power, then the marker moves on. That's it. All you're doing is setting up characters to trigger when the marker gets to them. And you want them to be on your side because their power will benefit you. I do think that you're not going to get the most out of the game until you learn the cards that are in both decks and the character cards and what they do on both sides. I think there's going to be a lot of picking up and flipping and going, oh yeah, it does that on that side, it does this on this side. Okay, well, do I want to affect it or not? I think there's a little bit of learning the cards. But in terms of mechanisms and convolution, I'm so puzzled that's what I was getting at maybe I just didn't care enough about it it just doesn't seem <laughs> like ouch it, the theme and the art seem really interesting to me but the mechanisms and what I'm trying to do just doesn't hold anything for me in this one at all I like the fact that you're setting up it's not I play a card here's a power you play a power it's I play a card in order to set something up a little bit down the line it, it didn't resonate with me at all it didn't sit well with me Maybe it was that that sort of led me to not not to go into my head. Uh, I'll, wow. I'll go out now. I'll say it now. It's a trap. It's my sure. It's my surest trap of the day. I can't understand. I'm genuinely shocked. Um, but I, what? I don't understand what you're coming from with this. I can understand some criticisms of the game, but for it to just be blown away and dismissed completely is is just beyond me. It's a two-player game in which there's a backwards-forwards tug-of-war. You're trying to influence different cards. There are special powers. Each side is asymmetric. So there's definitely a theme going on there. I can't understand that you dismiss it. I'm in shock. I need a bit of recovery. I'm not sure. <laughs> I might now change the next one just to annoy you. <laughs> I'm really excited. I genuinely am. I was like, I, yeah, I mean, given that I didn't know where you were going to come down on this one at all, but if there's 950 games, I started looking at this rule book. It didn't, it didn't bite me. It didn't make me go, oh, yeah, I'd like to play that. And it really didn't. It just made me think, ah, it's just a lot of fuss for nothing. Oh, man, you gotta re- you're going to have to read that rule book again. Or I'm, gonna make you- I'm getting this game. So <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm going to make you play it. Because yeah, I'm really excited about it. I love this idea. I hope the creature feels mysterious enough and creepy enough. And 
the different characters seem to be more powerful on either side, so it feels like you might target certain characters. There's a real push-pull there, like in all good two-player games. I like the fact that you're going to have a hand of three. You can choose from a variety of cards, especially as the town player. 28 different powers. There's equipment they can put into play that will help them one-off or will stick around for a while that will help protect them. Oh, I am fully in this. I love Stranger Things, a TV show, and I'm fully a treasure all the way with in between and this has got to be the biggest disparity we're going to have this episode you're crazy quite possibly right my next game is called justice league it's a treasure i don't care what ronan says is that it are we done are we moving on we're moving on it's okay. called <laughs> justice league dawn of heroes from abba games signed by buster len and fran ruiz Two to six players, and it's a big old price mark coming in at 80 euros. So what do you do with this? You need the familiar heroes of this Justice League. So you've got your Superman, your Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Batman, etc. And you're going to lead them in missions where teams of heroes are going to complete to achieve their goals first. Each mission has two to four chapters, and it has a save system because the game can be quite long if you go through all the chapters. On a turn, you have move and a basic action, and you have potential further actions. Now, the heroes all have different ways to control them. For instance, Superman and Wonder Woman are controlled by dice. Batman and Green Lantern have cards, and Aquaman and Flash are tokens. So different ways of actually achieving your goals for each of these characters. You move around a modular board and you're trying to take out the villains and complete your mission. There are other modes to this. There is a skirmish mode and there is also a tutorial mission in which you are guided through the game. Take my money. Well, this is all your dreams come true in a box. You said it's a treasure. Do we need to go any further? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we will. Maybe we will. I like that the heroes trigger in different ways. They're varied. and I like they put that amount of thought into it. And it's difficult to shoehorn one system into those varied characters that we're very familiar with. This gives me a lot of hope for the game. Yeah, I think it's very, very ambitious. Now, that ambition, ambition doesn't always pay off. But very ambitious, and you you might be playing very similar mechanisms, but you're going to feel like you're doing something different. So you've got one person who's just rolling those dice. You've got the more controlled aspect of Green Lantern and Batman, because they're very much about being a super sleuth and, and willpower. So it's thematic in that they've got control of those. And the Flash, he's going to expend energy really quickly, and that's represented by expending tokens. So I think it all works out really thematically for me. For sure. The concern then I have, though, is uh, we've only seen the rule book. We haven't seen the scenario book. The rule book is a framework, and it's all about fighting. There wasn't a lot novel in the fighting. It's very deterministic. It's very Superman does five damage plus these three dice. The fighting system itself didn't feel that clever to me. It needs to all be in the scenarios, the actual choices, rather than I walk to the nearest thing and punch it. I like that there's a tutorial mission, but I I hope that that tutorial mission shows off some of those features to us. When I inevitably get Justice League, there are some negatives for me. I think the artwork looks amazing, but the floor tiles look really dull. I was actually quite disappointed by the grid that you're actually moving around on. It doesn't look that thematic to me. It looks fairly bland, and I'm sure there's a reason for that, but I can't quite see it from afar. You can add scenery and stuff to it, so cars and, mm. and 
things like that. So I, I guess they're going to pop a little bit more. In fact, you can pick up cars and throw them. You can smash through walls and all things like that. It had to be fairly dull to start with. So that the tokens you put down, I think, have to be more visible. That would be my idea on it. I'm going to say that objectively, it's hard to judge Justice League because we've just got the bare bones and a combat system, and we don't know what you're actually going to be trying to do from either side to achieve your victory. But with that theme with that thought that they've put a lot of care into it, with the fact they've written so many different scenarios, it's not just a skirmish game, although you can play it as a skirmish game, I am very hopeful, Sean, and I'm going treasure for Justice League. I've got one little gripe about the game. Now, you have loads of characters in this from the DC world, but from what I can see, there's a massive lack of female characters. And it's not like DC world doesn't have female characters. It has some fantastic female characters within it. I ramp up the female characters. It's not always about the male characters. So that was a bit annoying. But other than that, it's a take-my-money game. I love the theme. I'm a comic book collector fan. I'm particularly a DC comic book collector fan. It's a treasure all day long. That's Justice League Dawn of Heroes. Okay, we're going to move on to Bronze from Hobby World, designed by Konstantin Domashevich's first design, two to four players, 45 to 90 minutes. It is very loosely themed on settling lands in ancient times. There are three different types of settlements you can build in this game on seven different types of terrains. You'll be playing with four stacks of tech cards, which are all unique. What you do on your turn is take a tech card, and that dictates what type of settlement you can build of the three types and on what type of terrain on these land strips. You start with a limited number face up and the rest of them face down, and you can only build onto the next one that's empty. When you build onto the next one that's empty, the, the next strip flips over, and you can progress across these land strips. Now, why do you want to be building on these strips? Well, the first to build on a strip gets a city card from a, sort of a group of them. There's going to be one more than the number of players in the game available for each strip, but you get first dibs if you get build first on a strip. And the city cards will give you endgame scoring. The tech card that you take will get added to a matrix of tech cards which you can build in front of yourself and they trigger off adjacent cards and cards of the same type of technology in the column and you can build multiple settlements. And another thing is that once you've built to the right you can never go back to the left so you can progress forward to grab the best city cards if you think they're the best city cards but then you're leaving spaces behind for possibly other players to expose as long as the right tech cards come up. Once all players have moved off from a strip, whoever has got the majority in that strip gets a province card, and that's also going to be worth VPs. You can try and build strings of uninterrupted settlements on a particular terrain. If you can manage to do that, you're going to get a trade bonus. Once someone has built all their settlements, all the spots have been taken, all the tech cards have gone, the game is going to be over and you're going to score. And each city card has got its own unique scoring conditions like most settlements on a train type, stuff you've done in your tech matrix, how many province cards you've got, whether the most or the least, whether you've been able to create trades and all the rest of it. It is an abstract, puzzly game, Sean, which kind of got an ancient theme but hasn't really it's all about the two different spatial aspects of your tech matrix and the strips you're building on what are your thoughts on bronze um who am i why, why am i doing this why, what's what's drawing are me you in? hoisting me on my own petard <laughs> <laughs> why am i doing this why don't i just go and play blockers or something why, why don't i go and play 
ingenious or what's the draw to this one the draw is the spatial aspect i mean if you're talking about the theme mm, it's just a set of clothes that they've put onto this this body of the game it could be one of any set of clothes it is very much an abstract puzzle yeah yeah for sure it's the puzzle the, the names of yeah. city cards and province cards they're just different types of vp cards that's all they are Okay, so I don't really know who I am. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. The next thing would be to look at the makeup of the art. and I like the look of the cards, but to me, the boards just look like a gaudy mess. They just look awful. Wow, we've got you on a bad day today, haven't we? You've got me after a night shift. That's never going to be. This is, this is, this is harsh <laughs> beyond harsh. They're, they're just different colour strips on simple boards that fit uh, together. Yeah, but draw me in, man. Bring me out from that Essen throng and say, that's the game I want to try. This isn't doing any of that. All right, it's not pretty. I wouldn't call it a gaudy mess. It's not <laughs> offensive to the eye. It's it's just strips of different colours. Like they don't clash or anything like that. I would say you're not going to go to this one for its looks. I wouldn't go as far as you just went. Ah, uh, I've gone there. I've gone there. I'm staying there. I'm buying oh, the t-shirt. Wow, I'm pinch assaulting this whole episode from you, Grumpetus. <laughs> uh, what I do like is the city cards are going to drive your own individual strategy because they're going to give you different ways of scoring. There's the ability to set yourself up and go, no, this is what I'm going for. Or chug along at the back, taking the province cards and then make the best of the city cards. Yeah, There's different ways of going about it. And I like that it's very much player-driven priorities. It's not you pull three cards and that tells you how to score. It's, okay, how do you want to score? Well, how are you going to play the game this time? Yeah, I think the puzzle has some merit to it. I think if I was sort of made to sit down and play this... I wouldn't hate my time. I think there are some interesting choices to make. I can't get over the, the look and the feel of the game. And the, the, the question, why would I do this over another puzzle game that has actually gone to some trouble to make it appealing? You're saying Blockus and Ingenious are more attractive and have gone to more bother to make it appealing than these. Blockus and Ingenious work because of the game. Yeah, they're because. Yeah, but they're not, <laughs> they're not pretending to be anything. They're like, yeah. We're abstract. If this was purely abstract, we would never have looked at it. They have at least put something on there to get the eye. The technology cards are attractive because they can call it something and use some artwork. If they went pure abstract, they'd be called A, B, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and that would be much worse. I feel where you're you going. That's, that's cool. It's just not my type of game, is it, Rodi? It's not the type of game that I would seek out or but it's that type of game that when you end up playing it actually quite mm. often you quite like them i haven't seen anything in this one to make me go wow like that i can really i really like that mechanism or i really think that that's gonna cause me some interesting thought processes i'm not saying it's not gonna be a bad game it's not for me for sure for that reason bronze is a trap oh, sean's just on a wrong road to wrong hell today the length to wait is a question for me if it is 90 minutes long with four players i'm going to question whether there is enough there the variety another slight question mark over it but it has got kind of a classic euro feel to me there's definitely enough there that i want to get this and i certainly at least want to try it at the show to, to make my decision i'm leaning towards treasure 
for bronze, but it's not strong treasure. It's maybe a couple of pennies that you find in, in the gutter at the moment, but I'm hoping if I polish them up, they'll end up to be something rare and worth more than face value. There is one warning on this treasure for you guys. Last year, Hobby World sold copies of Masters of Orion, which were pre-production with shabby quality of components. They reckon they made that clear. People who bought it from them say they did not make it clear, and there were some issues from there. They have said that the copies of bronze at Spiel may be the same. If you do are interested in bronze and looking at it, make sure you check the quality of the components. Real strange thing for me. I think they're rushing out productions a certain amount of the game just to have it at Essen as opposed to bring out a polished product. Well, the dates are set three years in advance, so it's not good enough. What they did last year with Masters of Orion Hobby World, not good enough. If you do it again with bronze, I hope you make it clear. But the game itself, I think, is worth a look at. That's why I've made bronze a treasure. Sean. Wise words there. So my next game is Favelas, coming from WizKids, designed by Chris Bryan, two to four players, around the 30 euro mark at the show. Players are looking to oversee a beautification of the iconic Favelas of Rio de Janeiro. In this tile lane and area control game, it's all about filling up your individual player board with coloured favelas and looking to score points for having the majority in a colour and for having a set of all five colours. Victory points are dictated by a dice of each colour. On a turn, players will draw a tile and place it on their board. If you cover up a space with a matching colour, you can move the corresponding die up or down by one, so you're controlling that dice. There are three rounds, with scoring happening at the end of each round. The majority in each colour gets victory points equal to the pips on the corresponding dice. Anyone with all five colours still showing gets victory points equal to the pips on a clear die. And that, in a nutshell, is Favela's Ronan. It was one that I certainly went in thinking I wasn't going to like at all. <laughs> I think you picked it for this. Okay, <laughs> interesting. Thanks. It is super colourful. It is going to garner attention at the show because of the looks. It really is. And it kind of, although the theme is pasted on, because of the colour and the look of the game, it's kind of strangely fitting. You kind of get the no. feeling of that. No, I do. I first no. get the feeling of those favelas. I can't believe you just had a go at bronze for being so abstract. This is super abstract. It is, there is it, no thing. This is more abstract than bronze. It, it, this doesn't uh, mean anything. Yeah, no, I, I no said sense. the theme is pasted on. I said it was strangely fitting because the colours, the vibrance of the game reminds me of the vibrance of the favelas in, in Rio That's de all we have to do is put bright colours in the game and you're going to like it. Obviously. The bright colours do not make it thematic. That is not something I can go with in any... At least it's a new theme. At least it's not trading in the Mediterranean or zombies. And that's what drew my eye to it. But mate, it is just colour matching. It is colour matching. The colours are important in both aspects. I'm not saying it is a thematic game. I just I think it's strangely fitting. Not strangely thematic. Strangely fitting. Is what I'm saying. Mm, in I my think mind, it is a strangely fitting theme. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very, very super quick game. It doesn't hang around. It doesn't try to. Like you set up scoring for one round or day or whatever you call it, and then all those dice get re-rolled. And then whatever points the colours are worth are reset again, and then you build up again. It 
kind of doesn't matter what colours you leave on top. I guess would you leave yourself options or you don't leave yourself options or you, you try and specialise a certain colour, but the dice are going to get re-rolled anyway. So if I specialised in purple and it rolls and purple is a one, no one else is going to help me get that purple up, are they? So what do I do? Start resetting again? It's like three kind of mini-games, almost disconnected, built up, but it doesn't hang around. Mm, no, it doesn't. It's very simple, very easy to get stunk into. I think it can be a bit nasty, obviously trying to stitch each other up a little bit. You haven't got the most amount of control. But again, we, we harken back. This game does not outstay its welcome in any way, shape or form, or so it would seem. Well, that's good because its welcome is very, very short. Because this game is super not for me. There's just nothing here. It's got no thematic connect and it's got no depth and... I think if I had much younger kids, I might consider it because I think the colour would attract them. But then the 3D building aspect might put them off. So it's kind of the depth of a younger kid's game, but with the difficulty of an older kid's game in terms of that 3D aspect. So I I just don't see anything in there for me, mate. Favelas is very much a trap. Very much came in thinking that this one was going to be an absolute nailed-on trap. And to be honest, I didn't see anything that I could hate upon. Although it's going to be a trap for me, it's something that I would have absolutely no problems playing. I might not think very much, I might not do too much strategizing or even tactical play, but I think I'll enjoy my my 15 minutes playing it. So, yeah, it's, it's a trap. I am going to give them credit for at least choosing a new theme, though. I'm quite happy about that. Fair enough. Okay, what is your last game? Of- My last one. Think. Speaking of new themes, this is The Sanctuary from Cube Factory of Ideas for two to four players, a 30 to 60 minute game from Prezhemek Wojtkowiak. In the game, players are going to be managing an animal sanctuary with up to four different species in there. You're going to be attempting to increase the population of these endangered species and increase their happiness by giving them the best environment you possibly can. You're going to do that by claiming more land for your sanctuary or improving the value of the land that you have. You're also going to be dealing with the threats of I'm going to presume it's poachers because the anti them is rangers. It never actually says poachers in there, but just threats to the animals. You play it over five or six turns. And what you're going to do on each turn is going to be in a backwards forward. So first player to last player, then last player goes back to first player, placing two meeples overall onto a horseshoe shape of action cards, which are laid out on the table. Number of action cards player dependent. After everyone's placed, they're going to trigger the main action of the card that they are on, plus the secondary action of other cards they can see. Now, their line of sight is going to be blocked by fences, which are going to be some on the action cards, and also by other players' meeples. What are you going to be doing with your actions? Well, there's definitely a part in there where you're going to be collecting resources, and you're going to be managing those resources around your sanctuary to power rangers. (laughs) See what I did there? To deal with the threat to hire more rescuers which would increase the population to power action card changes to things that are going on in your sanctuary you can build storehouse improvements for in-game or end-game powers you're going to be scoring points for all of the above sean to me this is a great and sort of unique theme yes it's another running a zoo game but with a slightly different twist to it but what did you think about the look as well as the theme theme is, is a really compelling theme. Same in Animals in the Wild from Going Extinct. Who couldn't be compelled by that? I love the box art. Just that white background with the tiger and the it's very 
jarring, very vivid. When it comes to the actual game itself, there's elements I like. I, I quite like the detail they go into. I'm not sure about the little standees of the, the zookeepers. Yeah, yeah, I think it looks it looks fine. Yeah, I'm not fully convinced, but I think the fact that it's the, the theme is different means that components that are quite generic, you actually feel, oh, they look a bit different. And I, I like the nice, clean, white background of things like that. So it, it is attractive to the eye. And I think with this theme, it's going to get attention. Now, once it's got that attention, does it, have much there to draw you in now initially on reading it i was like it's all in these action cards that's the the one hook and then you're just going to do obvious stuff with what they say and move on but what i found looking into it was that cube management system and the special powers you can build for yourself with these storehouse powers there's actually a bit more euro ticking away in the background there's certainly more to it than the meets the eye now Going back to that line of sight mechanism, so that was that was one of the things I thought. Now, is that going to be an instant sort of yeah that's got line of sight, or is it going to take too long to work out for everyone? People arguing about well, no, that has no, it hasn't. Is that going to interrupt the game? Oh, no, it's super easy, super yeah. easy. It's a fence or a meeple blocks you, so you just, I go along to that next meeple. That's it. Right, fair enough. Okay. So I, I think that's going to be okay. I actually think it's quite an elegant little system. I'd be more worried about how much AP it takes because when you're placing a worker, you're not just considering mm. your one action. You're considering your periphery actions and you're considering the effect on other players' periphery actions. Mm. So I feel like the yeah. way, time you get around to Meeple 6, 7, and 8, there may be a bit of a slowdown of the game. On the good side is the longevity here. There's different card layout every time you play this. It's always a good sign in games. Yeah, and I was quite encouraged by the fact that the way that you build the deck for each number count of players, they've got a specific system for it. I know it's just something, but it makes me think they've play-tested it and they've thought about it and they are aware that certain cards work with certain players. And that, that gives me a bit of hope as well. The different animals you can get, the six different sets of four animals that go in the four colours you can have. I'm not sure that the animals you have actually make any difference. Which goes against the theme almost, doesn't it? Because you're, you're trying to save these endangered species and it doesn't really matter which one you save. Not not too much. And the, the yeah. last thing I was worried about, and while I was talking about AP, there didn't seem to be a lot of interaction in there. It was all in that action card thing. So when you're running your own little thing, are you going to pay that much attention to what everyone else is doing or are you just focusing solely on your own? Now, that's okay. It's not a massively long game. It's just something to be aware of. I'm not sure there's that much interaction. Oh yeah, I think the interaction probably more more in that line of sight as you, as you mentioned before. Yeah, but for sure, for me, the sanctuary—it's a compelling theme. I think there's some really interesting mechanisms within this. Uh, not the deepest game, but I think it does have quite a bit of longevity inbuilt in it. I'm going to say it's a treasure, Roman. I am also going to go treasure but i'm specifically going to go treasure to play with my family who i think are going to love the theme and enjoy the fact that it's not massively long and massively deep if it wasn't for playing it with my family for me it would be a bit more of a fence sitter i'd want to try it out first but still be quite hopeful but with that extra family edition it's a going a treasure and that is the sanctuary sean our last preview of this episode ronan our last game in this episode is rogers of the ganges from hook designed by inca and marcus brand two to four players coming in about the 45 euro mark this game is set in 16th century india and players are the hindu princes the rogers 
competing for power and prestige. The aim of the game is to move your marker along both a glory and a money track that start off in opposite directions around the board. The first player to have their markers meet in the middle is the winner. Each player has a province board, and you're going to fill these up with buildings and markets for glory and money, respectively. And also, you're going to route build to connect glory and money from the edge of your board to the palace. The game is driven by worker placement and dice. You have three workers, plus dice that will unlock certain actions depending on the amount shown. And these are kept on a little cardboard Kali statue. Not sure how much use it is, but it's there. You've got a quarry on the board. This is going to help you buy tiles for your personal area. You've got a marketplace. You're going to score money for the different markets on your board. You have a palace area that's going to generally allow you to re-roll your dice. You've got a balcony area that's going to allow you to get new dice. You have chambers, and you're going to get help from six different people. And there is a, a river in the middle of the board, the Ganges, that you're going to move your ships along, and you're going to get boons for landing on certain areas of this. That's Rajas of the Ganges, right? Sean, they had me at the caddy statue. They're totally useless. Just hold a few dice, show you that you can only have a certain number in your pool. But awesome looking caddy statue for each player. I was I was fairly positive after seeing that. It's a bit of gaming bling that we gamers really love. Just that something different that's absolutely useless, but it shows off the game. Okay. From there, obviously it's centered around this tile lying game for your own province and building up your network of roads and trying to get to trade opportunities around and increasing your points score of different things and having the markets where you can make money i like that spatial tight aspect where every tile you put down in your own province is going to make a difference it's going to make a difference and it seems to be your best point scoring opportunity but I love that that's just one of the factors you have to take on board. One of my concerns was there's lots of opportunities to get dice, but I'm not sure that there's enough manipulation for those dice available. Yeah, you have the karma and you have a certain area on the board that could go in and you can get a dice of certain results, but I wasn't sure there was enough. It's maybe more a game of taking advantage of the opportunities that come your way. And that can be difficult in a deeper Euro. You can say it could be a slight concern where you go, oh, the dice just haven't fallen my way. So what else could I do? I've uh, a concern for a game of this length and weight, for sure. And just going to the look of the game, because that's one of my favourite aspects, is it's really bright, really colourful. Uh, I've already talked about the Carly statue, so I think there's lots to like about the design quality here. Definitely. And it does pull me in. And it, I'm not having that dull sort of feeling of, okay, I'm doing the same old thing. Although the actions seem to be fairly sort of generic Euro. Yeah, it's got its own spin. Don't get me wrong. Just we're, we're as simple as just that slightly refreshing, different feel to the game is, is enough to pep it up a bit. We've got Agra coming as well, which we might preview. But that, that's another thing that's got kind of a similar-ish theme and it feels a bit fresher Sean than just going to Venice again yeah I think it's also the blend of those mechanisms yeah you've got very similar mechanisms as you've seen in previous games but it's the way they're all blended together and so many of them in this one box that's what really excites me 
Yeah, and in terms of lots of mechanisms, it's not what we talked about earlier of doing this to do this to do this to this step by step by step. It's that each time you take something, it has an impact on all the other things, but it is useful in and of itself. And I like that we through our own province boards, through our own use of dice, through taking our own bonuses, we're going to be forging our own path and choosing a way through that suits what we're trying to do. Okay, well, I think I know where you're going with this one, but do you want to... Yeah, you can tell by the happiness in my voice. (laughs) (laughs) I love the the driving the fame and the money together, the fact that you have to worry about both sides. That certainly gives enough with the unique flavour and the heaviness for me to go Raja of the Ganges, definitely a treasure. Yeah, there's absolutely loads going on here. Tile placement, worker placement, dice manipulation, economy, route building... All seems fairly seamless from what I can see from afar. Really excited to give this one a try. And this is a big, big treasure for me. And that's Rajas of the Genjis. And that's our last game. And we will catch you in our outro in just a few moments. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, for our first 12 previews. 12 more coming up in our next episode. We hope you're getting excited as we are for Essen. Mentioning Essen, we have got a couple of other con announcements to make. That is, we will be at Lobster Con on the 17th of November that weekend in Eastbourne, on the south coast of England. Although it's run by London on Board, you do not have to be a member of London on Board. If you head to meetup.com slash London on Board, you can find details there. It is the featured meetup. It's only £10 for the whole weekend. It's just open gaming pretty much with a few events. Sean and I will be there having lots of fun. So be great to see you. And the second thing is we're also going to be at Aircon in Yorkshire next March. And if you search for Aircon, A-I-R-E Con, the tickets go on sale Friday 13th of October. And we'd love to see you there as well. Sean? Yeah, Roman, we, we know Essen is truly underway now that we've got our first preview shows under our belt. Of course, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. If you go there, enter the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to email us, it's thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. If you wish to contact us, we can also be contacted on our BGG Guild, so please pop along there. We are on social media. We have a Facebook page, we are on Instagram, and on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. Download our episodes, head to Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. And thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Music by Aaron. Boy. Boy, 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 boy.